0: Hello and welcome to All Villa, No Filler, a podcast all about Aston Villa, the world's greatest football team. And didn't we just look the part against Southampton? Now let's get at it and talk all about that 4-0 masterpiece. This is a unique show in the illustrious history of all villa, no filler, as I will attempt to fly hand solo here. My regular co-host George is unable to make the podcast this week due to an illness. I wish him and his family well and look forward to seeing George back on the podcast very soon. So unfortunately, you're stuck with just me for this one episode. I'm so sorry about that, everybody. Uh, It feels like I'm kind of back at school all on my own talking about football whilst everybody else is somewhere else at a house party or something, trying their level best to pretend they're not drunk after just one can of weak beer. Uh, Or or maybe they're pretending, uh, you know, to know about the music that's playing on the stereo. I remember one kid at my school claimed he went to a Rage Against the Machine concert at the NEC in Birmingham. And so me and some friends, uh, when he was at school a few days later, we all started just making up song names and asking them if they played at the gig. Um, So, you know, we'd start off by asking, did they play Killing in the Name of? And he'd go oh yeah mate Uh, did they play stuff like uh the colorful salamander who ate an octopus oh yeah that tune was banging mate uh did they play the irrefutable evidence of naughty behavior oh mate i was in the mosh pit for that the crowd went mental god my teen years were so fun i don't know why i've digressed to that story and i'm sorry for that that's what happens when i'm on my own It just yeah, sorry about that. Um, so uh, I will talk about Aston Villa's big win soon. I swear it. But it's also worth mentioning I'm in Australia, a land down under where the bearders flow and the men chunder. What a lyric that was by men at work. I have seen one man chunder since I got here last week. So that part of the song might well be true. But he was wearing a Southampton shirt and it was just after Danny Inge scored. So it was probably a British guy rather than an Australian. Um, he also didn't have a mullet so he most likely wasn't an Aussie. Honestly, there's so many mullets down here. It's like it's the land, the 80s, never forgot. But what a beautiful and humid place Brisbane is. I'm sweating buckets (laughs) recording this. Um, I know we get a lot of listeners from Australia, so hello to you all. It's great to be here. Um, Please do get in touch on our social media pages or email allvillanofiller at gmail.com to tell me all about what it's like to support the mighty Aston Villa down here. And who knows, we could even bump into each other watching a game. Um, And I tell you, Uh, It was 1am on Sunday morning in Brisbane and I searched high and low trying to find somewhere to watch the game. I walked into various places and said, excuse me, mate, are you by some miracle showing Aston Villa versus Southampton? My voice goes really brummy when I've had a few drinks and uh, I'd just uh, get some blank looks from servers who'd say, Sir, I've never heard of Aston Villa and this is a McDonald's. Please just order a Big Mac or leave the premises. And I said, You've never heard of Aston Villa? Don't you know who Brent Ullman is? He scored away at QPR once. Right, that's it, sir. I'm calling the cops. So eventually, with the cops fully on my tail, I did eventually find a bar called The Pig and Whistle, which shows all Premier League games right through to four in the morning. It was a miracle. Annoyingly, there were no other Villa fans in the pub, but there were a fair few Leeds fans who'd been there to see the earlier game against Leicester. So I did the decent thing, of course, and I told the bouncers to clear them out. Uh, as a self-respecting Aston Villa fans, I couldn't be seen near Leeds fans. Um, that's a joke before anyone thinks I actually did do that, but <laughs> it was tempting because I really just don't like Leeds. Anyway, I felt Villa owed me a win for showing such commitments to the cause, And boy, oh boy, didn't the lads just deliver. What a brilliant performance. Right from the first minute, Villa looked so calm, collected and comfortable, like we'd just walked onto a beach with a cold beer and sat down to look at the calm blue sea. We were both solid and creative um let's look at the front three firstly now for a while we've wondered does the Watkins or Wings as I prefer to know it does that partnership work and so far this season the results have been not great but in the last two games with Coutinho playing just behind them has been the makings of something and the Southampton match was where it finally seemed to come together now, Watkins in recent games has looked somewhat low on confidence. His touch hasn't really been there, and he's struggled to affect games. But he got that superb goal against Brighton, and it seems off the back of that, his confidence has risen. He was so high energy against Southampton, he never stopped running. His movement was superb, and the game couldn't have started better than him scoring early on. It was a great finish and it was awesome to see that Coutinho passed the ball into Ings Danny then played a smart pass into Ollie he then scored the goal um, wonderful turn uh, and a great finish. All of our front 3 had some involvement. How can you not love to see they're all on the same wavelength? And something that I really loved about it was how Ings celebrated with such excitement with Ollie, like he did against Brighton, and then Watkins did the same for him when Ings scored later in the game. So it demonstrates that they have a really positive relationship and want to work together. They want to make it work. That's something that's obviously been built on the training pitch. Some of that you think has to go down to Steven Gerrard. Um, It sort of felt like he'd been at both players on the training pitch or in his office all week. He'd been drilling into them, how he wants them both to get goals uh, and be more confident uh, than they had been in previous months. And it paid off. Um, But ultimately as well, aren't we just seeing the world-class quality? of the almighty one, Coutinho. I cannot believe this man plays for Aston Villa. It's like me becoming Prime Minister. You're wondering how the hell he got there and why I've passed a law that everyone must listen to the All Villa Know Filler podcast. Believe me, that will be the first thing I did as Prime Minister. Coutinho's touch, his vision, his way to pass, his movement, his shirt, his shorts, his hair, his ears, his tattoos, his pinky fingers, it's all just perfect. And he was 10 out of 10 at the weekend end he played it into Ings to start the move for the first goal he missed a couple of chances but kept going and got the assist for deadly Douglas Luiz to start make it 2-0 what a 1-2 that was by the way with Callum Chambers Callum Chambers he found his inner Ronaldinho to play such a wonderful pass with the outside of his boot um, into Coutinho Um, he came in from Arsenal for a minimal price Uh, during the transfer window, and what a bargain he's already proving to be. Both he and Ashley Young stepped up at the weekend. And with all this Brazilian magic happening at Aston Villa, I've heard of Jogger Benito, but do we now call it Jogger Brumito? You get it? You know, Jogger Brumito, like our Birmingham is Brum? Yeah? Does it work? Well, it works for me, so I guess I'm going to stick with it. All right? Don't care what you say. Um, The first half could have genuinely been 4-0. Oriol Romeo, an otherwise very solid, uh, dependable midfielder, couldn't handle Coutinho at all. And his dynamic movement made the Southamptons 4-4-2 uh, look very uh, pedestrian. Southampton responded at halftime by bringing on another defender, changing shape and going to three at the back. But that didn't work either. As Villa came out, all guns blazing and did exactly what they had to do and scored early to put the game to bed. Full praise to John McGinn for the third goal by keeping the ball alive and to Danny Ings for getting his second assist uh, of the game with a clever little layoff to Coutinho, who did very well to finish it. And then the fourth goal, Danny Ings scored. Well done to Matty Cash for getting that far forward and delivering a clever pullback to Ings, uh, who did Danny Ings things and scored a first-time shot. No doubt Gerard will be delighted to see his fallback that far forward um creating chances like that um Ings understandably didn't celebrate against his old club but if I'm honest if I was a footballer you know what I'd be tempted to make the apology uh my actual celebration so I'd just cynically uh, be pretending to be sorry to Newcastle fans after I scored at St James's Park but with a snide little grin on my face just to wind up the crowd that little bit more <laughs> yes I've dreamt about that moment a little too much and yes I know I desperately need to get out more. Also, when Ings scored, I was in the bar, of course. So Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun was playing in the room next door. And I went, yeah, oh, Ings just wants to score goals. Oh, Ings just wants to. Christ alive, I need to get out more. I swear, if I ever hear that on the whole tend, I'm not taking credit for it. I'm never hearing that on the whole tender. Thank the gods. Uh, There really isn't a single player you could fault at the weekend. Everybody looked the part. Even Emmy Martinez, who had so little to do. He made an absolutely world-class save from Che Adams. Not only did he keep a clean sheet, but... In that moment, he stopped the former blues player scoring at Villa Park. For that, I have written to the Argentinian government demanding, demanding they build a 500-foot statue in the middle of Buenos Aires to celebrate Emmy. I'm still waiting to hear back from them, surprisingly. Uh, I'll write a follow-up letter if I hear nothing in the next few days, and I'll let you know how it goes. Anyway, let's get to some numbers, a few facts and figures, and work out why Villa was so good. Bear in mind, everybody, that Southampton were in great form. They hadn't lost since Matt Letizia retired. Uh, Well, uh, maybe that's exaggeration. Uh, no, they hadn't lost since mid-January. Uh, they've since won at Spurs, uh, drawn at Old Trafford, not that's really much of an achievement anymore, let's be honest. Uh, and they've also drawn against Manchester City, and we made them look utterly ordinary, like a huge pedestrian crossing that we walked across with ease. Interestingly, Villa only had 38% possession in the game, a mere 38 But in the first half, it felt like Villa did a containment job and allowed Southampton to have the ball. Um, But when we won it back, we moved the ball forward with speed, hitting them hard with precision and on the counter. It was, in a way, what Watford did to us a few weeks ago, and we played as if we were the away team, to be honest. Now, after the Watford and Newcastle losses, um, which came during a really poor run of form, a lot of us fans, and we also on this podcast we also work about how Villa kind of needed to go back to basics. If you remember the Newcastle game in particular, our fullbacks were very high up the pitch and there was a complete lack of cohesion going forward. It was the spaghetti junction of football, confusing. And you're just wondering what is the point of this? Uh, and during that Newcastle game, Chambers and Mings were constantly passing the ball back and forth to each other without having any real options when they looked up because our fullbacks were so far forward and our midfielders were kind of occupying quite strange positions. Um, the only time we ever really had any attacks in those games, uh, in that game in Saint James's Park, was when Mings broke through Newcastle's lines himself, almost in desperation. It was not. It was not a good few weeks. But against Brighton and Southampton, the fullbacks tended to sit back more and were selective in when they broke forward, which worked perfectly when Cash got the assist for Ings in the second half. With the fullbacks sitting, it meant the central defenders had more passing options and we were less vulnerable to being caught on the counter attack. Likewise, it meant McGinn and Ramsey didn't have to cover so much space because our fullbacks were not as attacking as they had been against Watford and Newcastle. Uh, they were both able, therefore, to offer more passing options to the central defenders and help. attacks. With McGinnon uh, Ramsey closer to him, it also meant Douglas Luiz wasn't so lonely in midfield. He'd recently been swamped in that role and looked like he needed far more support around him. He got that at the weekend and lo and behold, he looked way more comfortable as a number six. Samba football, Jogger, Bramito are not giving up on that. With a more solid less gung-ho approach, um, the front three had a strong base behind them to work their magic and full praise to Ings and Watkins for their movement and their interchanges. I wondered after Newcastle whether Buendia and Coutinho were perhaps too narrow and whether we needed someone like Leon Bailey or Bertie Tricky Triori to come in and maybe just offer a little bit more width. It was a surprise to see Gerard goes to the Wings partnership against Brighton considering they hadn't looked necessarily so comfortable together this season. But this display um, against Brighton and both Southampton uh, was really positive and hopefully means there's more to come from them. They're both excellent players, very intelligent, uh, and full credit for believing in them uh, to get it right for Steven Gerrard. Of course, it's a shame Buendia has come out of the side. Um, he's doing very well recently, uh, but you can see the logic in the decision. and I'm sure he'll get more game time in the coming weeks. Other stats that caught my eye, Villa recorded their highest expected goals number since we beat Crystal Palace 3-0 in 2020. And this stat uh, that's coming up comes from Birmingham Live's Patrick Rowe. He's been on the show before. He's on Twitter as pgr underscore analytics, easily one of the best Villa accounts to follow. He noted that Villa have recorded 210 pressures in their last two games, which is a season high. It suggests Villa may have changed up something on the training ground. Perhaps the players have been told to work harder. Maybe the addition of another striker who pre- Pressures uh, opposition defenders as a reason for that stat going up too. Whatever it is, it suggests the team has reacted well to our recent struggles. They've listened to Gerard and the coaches and shown that hard work pays off. And that is the most LinkedIn cliche thing I've ever said. My God... Soon, I'll be like one of those really annoying people on LinkedIn who writes massive status updates telling everyone today I really learned the value of good communication. Business is the spice of life. That has helped me become the top selling salesman in the Redditch area. God, LinkedIn, straight into room 101. All villa, no filler on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So, who was man of the match? It has to be Coutinho for me. Southampton just couldn't handle him between the lines at all and he ran riot as a result. Oriol Romeo, whatever hair he had left, we lost it trying to handle our Brazilian superstar. And by God, Mr. Perslow, Mr. Edens, Mr. Suiris, if any of you are listening to this podcast, I know you're not, but if you were, please just pay whatever it takes to get that man into the club. I'll lend you some of my pocket money if you need it. I know it's only a tenner, but every little helps. And Barcelona, well, they need the money. By God, I hope we get Coutinho in the summer. He looks like he's loving life as the main man at Villa. And just having him around, our wonderful array of young players coming through. And of course, even just being around our experienced uh, first eleven, it's a big plus for everyone. And it should raise everybody's game. Overall, we battered a solid team who were in very good form. It was our best performance since we beat Crystal Palace 2-1 away in November, in my opinion. Can we keep our sudden winning ways going against a very vulnerable Leeds team on Thursday? Well, look, they're in real danger of relegation and look like conceding 50 goals a game. The iconic Marcello Bielsa, he's now no longer with them. Uh, he and his little bucket have ventured away from Ellen Rowe to be replaced by America's own Jesse Marsh. He started out with a 1-0 loss to Leicester and Saturday. Leeds had 19 shots in that game, but only got four on target, which is not a great stat for their attacking players. Hopefully, we won't be as sloppy as we were against them a few weeks ago when we blew a 3-1 lead at Villa Park to draw 3-3. They were, in all honesty, three really poor goals to concede. But we've just kept two clean sheets in a row and our front three should be very confident after their exceptional display against Southampton. You'd expect Luca Dina or Ezri Konsa to come back into the side if they're fit, but both Young and Chambers really stepped up in their absence so it also wouldn't surprise me if Steven Gerrard kept the same side on Thursday. Now with Leeds, their striker Patrick Bamford was on the bench against Leicester in their 1-0 loss at the weekend, so that's someone to keep an eye on. They've missed him badly this season due to a long term injury, but of course it was down. James and his movement have caused us, caused us real problems at Villa Park. Hopefully... We don't allow the five foot six James to score ahead of this time. Please God. Um, Calvin Phillips also looks like he might be fit after being injured seemingly forever. So that could make some difference in the center of the park, though I'd be surprised if he starts considering he's been out for a f- quite a long time now. Regardless, I expect Gerard to keep the same four, three, one, two formation. It'll be a full-on atmosphere on Thursday night at Ellen Road, but we can handle that. And therefore, I think our key man might actually just be the mighty Tyrone Mings, the man I call Ty the God of Thunder. It's the kind of atmosphere where our captain has to step up and lead from the back, in essence. Um, he was excellent at Ellen Road last season in our 1-0 win. Um, we'll need him there in the hostile atmosphere. and Hopefully, he can do just that. We love Mings on this podcast. I'll be watching that game in a pub in Brisbane, hopefully, and if I see any Leeds fans, I'll do the honourable thing and tell the bouncer to throw them all out. Before I go, um, we've had downloads from Ukraine many times before, and I see that we had some in the last week as well, so to anybody out there listening to this, just like Aston Villa when they flew the Ukrainian flag over the stands Uh, a villa park at the weekend I know my words don't mean much but I really am thinking of you all um, at this incredibly difficult time thank you everybody honestly from the bottom of my heart to anyone who listened uh, to me in this unique episode of All Villa No Filler. Uh, I hope I was bearable. Once again, we wish George well and look forward to hearing from him again very soon. Now, let's go and beat Leeds on Thursday. And until then, come on, Super Aston Villa. <laughs>